Hey lady, welcome to the Elevate Her podcast. I am your host, Rebecca Mariuki, leadership coach, career queen, twin mom, and wife. If you are ready to step into the level 2.0 version of yourself, girl, you've just found yourself a cheering squad that will help you do just that and even more. From one career woman to another who navigated the challenges of being a black woman in a profession that lacked diversity, with no rule book to help me figure out the keys to climbing the corporate ladder, I am on a mission to change this scene for good. In the last few years of my 10-year career, I not only overcame the challenges that held me back from the mid-level career slump I found myself in, but unlocked the doors to land big promotions in my career, become a director at just the age of 32 in the largest global audit firm, get my confidence game on and become a trusted leader. If you are ready to shake off the self-doubt that's been holding you back, uncover your value, get seen, promoted, and paid like the leader you deserve to be without more degrees, qualifications, or inauthentic networking tactics, stay tuned because you are about to get elevated. Hello, my dear friend. Welcome to episode 100. Yay! (laughs) Welcome to episode 100 of the Elevate Her podcast. I am sure you can tell that I am so, so excited and just bursting with gratitude, first of all, to get to 100, which I feel is such a big feat at this point, especially because there have been a lot of podcasts that I have followed in the past that haven't gotten to 100, that I've actually loved. And it really is because of all the feedback that you've been giving me and all the kind words, the beautiful words that you've shared over the last two, three years that have kept me going in this podcasting journey. And I feel like next week, maybe I'll talk about things I've learned from podcasting for anyone in here who wants the behind the scenes of what it actually takes to be a successful podcaster. And, you know, I'm still growing, right? I'm still growing in this podcasting journey. But for me, the the thing that really has kept me going is hearing all the beautiful words, the great feedback from you all. And, you know, it's not, it's not always been easy, right? There have been some days where I'm like, oh, I can't believe I still got to do a podcast and I just want to curl into bed and sleep. And persistence really is everything. Persistence is the key to having any great result that is worth writing home about. And that's why I really don't like this narrative around, oh, you just got to be motivated and then you'll be able to pull through anything and get anything you want. No, motivation is not always going to be there. Persistence, discipline, focus is what is going to get you to the other side. So with that said, as promised, I did something a bit different this episode and I allowed you all to share Any questions you have, nothing is out of limits and I've gotten some really interesting questions. I also allowed you to share them anonymously because I also ask questions anonymously. So why should you not? 
and I am going to get right into them. So enjoy the show. And if you have any feedback, if there's any topics you would love me to share on the podcast, please do share. And thank you so much for episode 100. And I can't wait for the next 100, 200 episodes. May the Elevate Her podcast live long. All right, let's get right into it. Hey, before we continue with this episode, I want to share this brand new resource that I created and put my heart and soul in getting to you. I am so excited to share with you the Position to Promotion Guide, a brand new free PDF guide designed to help you plan your next promotion. Yep, I said plan. And this guide is going to show you exactly how in five steps. Wouldn't it be great if you could one, start getting the recognition and the money you deserve with the expertise you already have. Two, have the confidence to ask for a salary raise and secure it. Three, become the trusted leader and advisor in your area of expertise. Four, finally get that promotion I know you've been working so hard towards. And five, know how to position for a promotion even if you don't like negotiating like me. Well, the position to promotion guide is just what you need. You need a plan from someone who has actually done this to get the results you've been hoping for in your career. P.S. This guide is exactly how I've helped other women, myself included, secure phenomenal career results like getting directorship positions at work, 60% salary increments within a single financial year. And it's how you can do so too. Just go to bit.ly forward slash position to promotion to get your guide. I cannot wait for you to get your hands onto this. And oh, did I say I even dropped a free negotiation template in this guide with conversation starters to help you initiate the conversation, which I know can sometimes be difficult with your team leader around your promotion. Yep, I meant it when I said I put my heart into creating this amazing resource for you. Go to bit.ly forward slash position to promotion or check the link in the show notes below. Before we start, I must say that I am actually answering these questions real time. So I haven't looked at your questions before. So this is my real roar um, response to all the juicy things that you have asked. So the first question is, what are you currently investing in money-wise? I love this question. So I am the kind of person who is very vanilla when it comes to investments. It's just my nature. I am, I would say I'm more of a risk-averse kind of investor. And so I'm also thankful for my partner because that's his jam. That's his superpower. In his past career life, he used to manage billions for the company he worked for. So he's very good at identifying the more high yield, potentially higher risk investments. And so personally, in my personal capacity, I am investing in balanced funds. So balanced funds and um, index tracking, index tracked funds. So these are funds, um, these are investment funds that are offered usually by investment management companies where you invest in a group of shares. So instead of going to the stock exchange and buying one specific stock and like literally you're exposing yourself to risk in one company, you then get to um, to enjoy the benefits of multiple companies without having to go and invest 
by yourself in all those different companies on the stock exchange. So they do that for you and then they create a fund. So that's one of the things I've invested in. Um, I also, of course, you know that I have a coaching practice, so I invest in my coaching business. I also invest in um, government bonds, <laughs> government bonds, right? Um, tried and tested, works for me, and also gives you that ability to have your funds in a fairly liquid form, right? Because you also don't want to invest everything in high yielding assets like property and land. And then when you need to liquidate it, then you're kind of in a fix and it takes long to do that. So that's my investment philosophy. And, you know, I, I always say like it's so important to educate yourself and even though, you know, I have an amazing partner and husband who understands these things, that is not what I am banking on when it comes to, you know, my personal investment um, decisions and philosophy, right? So please, please make sure that you're educating yourself. Books like Think and Grow Rich are amazing. Warren Buffett also has quite a few good books on investing. So you're going to need to try different things, right? Um, but like I always say, there's overnight success takes five to 10 years. So there's nothing that's going to make you rich overnight. You are going to have to, you know, go through the trenches and, and you know, be disciplined and, you know, invest and save. And that's also something else that I do, right? So I've gotten into this habit of I literally have a standing order where I send money to an account in a different bank and every month um, I collect the money from that that other bank account it's like a on hold savings account that I've created so every month at the end of the month I collect money from that bank account and then I put it in one of my investments whether it's one of the investment funds um, or the government bonds um, I also do have an investment in um, a company one of the companies um that is owned by someone I know um, that gives sort of a yield. So it's it's sort of like an investment in uh, I'm financing them. So it's kind of like a loan investment where I get a yield um, in return every quarter. So uh, I use that discipline of saving to then increase my investments in all my other things. I've just remembered. I also have an investment in what is called in Kenya, savings and ladies please <laughs> do not crucify me because I probably will not remember what the meaning of SACO is but it's savings and cooperative something all right but basically it is like a savings fund and they usually have I, I don't say I wouldn't say it's a guaranteed return every year but there's sort of a minimum expectation that we usually expect based on the funds that they invest in. So I also have a standing order that's literally deducted from my payslip. I don't even see that money every month. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a good way of also just getting into that discipline of, of saving because if you don't get into that discipline, it's very difficult to then move your funds after you've spent all your money, right? It's very easy to just say, oh, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next month. So instead, I have just gotten into that discipline of the decision being made for me. So I've created these standing orders. I have the deduction straight off from my payslip um, and I don't even see that money. And then I am able to 
easier make those investment decisions regularly. I hope that answers your question. All right. The second question is, hi, Rebecca, in your 20s, did you ever feel confused about your career path and how did you navigate it, keeping in mind an uncertain corporate world? All right. So one of the things I do not like hearing people say is find your purpose and follow your purpose. And saying that to someone who is in their early 20s or a graduate, like how are they supposed to know what their purpose is if they haven't tried different things? You have to actually go and try and test different things. And my philosophy instead is learn as much as you can in your 20s. Your 20s are like your glory years. This is where you get to explore, investigate, try, test so many different things before you get entangled in long-term responsibilities like family, raising kids, um, settling down with a partner. So yes, I did feel confused quite a lot, but I also made sure I learned as much as possible. I also chose my first job and this was one of the things that I considered. I don't know how I got to this conclusion, but for some reason, because I wanted to, I was eager to learn so many different things. I didn't want to just go into an insurance company. So I studied actuarial science and the typical place where actuaries are hired after they graduate from university is in an insurance company. But I didn't want to go into an insurance company because I knew I would be boxed into one department and I would literally just be doing like one or two or three things every single day. And I didn't want that. So I went into a consulting firm and I was exposed to so many different things. And I'm thankful for that decision that I made. And that helped me really hone down into what I enjoyed doing, what brought me joy, what I wanted to do more of. Okay. And in that process, I learned that I love talking to people as it relates to banking and risk management specifically. And I was less of a technical kind of actuary. I was less of the kind of person who wants to be behind the computer on Excel every single day. All right. But I had to try all those different things in order for me to know what it is that that I liked. Right. And depending on your career, And I would probably argue that for every career, there are multiple different options that are available. Okay, so you might have to give yourself that space and grace to try a few different things. And I'm not saying job hop every single year. You also have to give it time. Okay, you also have to give it time for you to understand yourself and you to to understand what are the things that light you up? What are the things that bring you joy? And then the second question or the second part of this question was, how did you navigate it, keeping in mind the uncertain corporate world? So at the time, and I don't know if it was naivety or optimism, but in my 20s, I didn't think of what are the risks. I thought of, you know, I'm here to learn as much as possible. I have chosen a career that is supposedly on demand right? Or at the time, I think even now, like there's still a shortage of actuaries generally across the globe. But you will find reasons if you think about it deep enough, you will find reasons as to why you shouldn't be thinking about the uncertainties, but you should be thinking more about the opportunities, 
right? And what you think about is what comes to pass. Okay, so that's what I would say to this. So make sure that your focus is more on how can I learn? How can I immerse myself in these different experiences as much as possible and get to understand myself and get to understand the intersection between my strengths, my skill set, my passion um, and what what is actually in demand in the world that people are actually paying for at this at, the, at this present moment. OK, and that's going to evolve over time as well. But I think the most important thing is your focus is what becomes your reality. Okay, so the next question is, hello, Rebecca, do you offer career coaching for beginners? I do not offer career coaching for beginners. Um, My expertise is in helping women who are mid-level, so manager or just about to get to manager who want to become leaders and directors. But I do have career coaching friends who have offers for beginners. So drop me a message on Instagram and I can definitely link you up with some of them. All right. The next question is, hey, Becky, what were your career accomplishments at 23? Also, did settling young lag your career growth? Interesting question. So this is probably someone who knows me. It's an anonymous question. So I don't know who asked this question. Okay, so career accomplishments at 23. So I graduated from university at 21. That was 2011. I was 21. So by the age of 23, I had worked at my first organization, PwC, for two years. And in that space of time, I got promoted from analyst to assistant manager, which was probably record time given that I moved from analyst to assistant manager within a year. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But and I, I find that this this is going to be maybe not the kind of response you're expecting. But I think during this time is where my journey really got molded. But I didn't know at the time. Because that was where I experienced a lot of the unwritten rules of the corporate game. That's when I realized that my work and my work alone was just not enough. That was when I realized that there were people who were working less than me, who were getting ahead. That was when I realized that I needed to have spokespeople. I needed to have advocates to speak for me in the promotion meetings or performance review meetings and I didn't know that at the time and maybe if you're you know in mid-level or you've listened to this podcast you're thinking I mean that's so basic Rebecca seriously but trust me at that time in my career I didn't know and it it took me have going through those experiences to figure that out and for anyone who has been in a consulting or management consulting firm you know how cutthroat the environment is. Okay, and so during that time, I would say it was it was one of the the hardest times in my life, but also the most I would say one of the most important parts of my life because it molded who I am now. It molded my, you know, my convictions, my beliefs, and it's probably one of the biggest reasons why I am here on this podcast, speaking to you all supporting women in my coaching programs because of those experiences I went through. So 
I would probably put that as a career accomplishment as well, going through those experiences. Um, Other things that I would say I experienced by the age of 23, you know, as part of the consulting game, you get to interact with people in senior levels in your corporate clients that you serve. So by that time, I had interacted with CFOs. I had been to a board meeting or two. I had, you know, interacted with quite senior figures in the industry, which was great. And at the time, 10, 11 years ago, most of the people in the industry were white, which was, again, something else I had to navigate that I had never thought of. But I would say yeah, that's that's definitely one of my career accomplishments. OK, um, did settling young lag your career growth? Well, I did have to take a career break when I turned was it 24 because that was when I got married, moved countries. So while, yeah, it it took me back in terms of now having to figure things out in a new country, I still learned a lot from that experience. I still learned a lot from that experience. I learned that finding a job was not just about responding to job ads. And some of you already know that how I got the job where I am right now, um, having, you know, moved up the ranks from manager, senior manager to associate director where I am, was actually through a connection on LinkedIn. Right. And so I had to figure out different ways of getting back into the corporate career space because getting in when you're out is hard. But once you're in, navigating and pivoting and moving around is easier. So, yeah, it it did. To be honest, it did take me back. You know, I was on a career break for a year, but then I also learned how to do things differently to get back in the game. All right. The next question is, hi, I just turned 29 and I work in the city planning industry. City planning. Okay. Um, I've been feeling very unsatisfied with my work. There's barely any progression. The pay is also low. So I won't. She did mention what the pay is, so I'm not going to mention it. Yet I make millions for my boss. The minimum he makes per contract um, is quite a lot. So this is like five. $500,000. $500,000. I have six years of experience and recently got my license to practice after passing grueling board certification exams. Well done. Congratulations. I am the youngest to ever get a license. Amazing. Smashing glass ceilings, literally. Most people get them in their late 30s, uh, late to mid 30s and early 40s. I feel like giving up on this career and transition to software development specifically Android app development. I'm at a point where I need to be making more money since I'd love to start a family and I can't support them adequately with the salary that I am earning. What advice do you have for me? I believe I'm incredibly smart smart and brilliant, but my boss doesn't compensate me for the value I bring in, despite having numerous conversations with him on renewing my take home. I'd love to transition to an industry where my effort is monetarily rewarded well and not just mere words please advise me i'd really appreciate your thoughts to this scenario what would you do all right so first of all why do you want to move to software development that's my first question because if it's just for the money i know you've probably heard this a few times but it is so true if it's just for the money it's going to be very difficult to hold and to progress 
because you're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to be focused. You're going to have to go through experiences that might make or break you. And they'll break you if you were just there for the money, right? There's got to be something more grounding that will keep you in that new space that you want to transition and that will support you in accelerating your journey in that transition. So that's what I would say first. Why? Why do you want to move to software development? You need to answer and only you can answer that question for yourself um, and don't do it if it's just for the money. I would rather you do a sort of career strengths assessment. So look at what what are you passionate about? What are your strengths? And go back to your performance reviews if you've done any or even ask your colleagues or ask your boss literally to give you feedback on what do they think are the strengths that stand out, right? As it relates to you working. This will give you clues into what potentially would be the next step for you. Okay. And I'm definitely not advocating for you to stay in your current place, given you've already mentioned that you've had conversations around your income, but nothing seems to be changing. So, yeah, definitely, I would say it's time to seriously put the fuel on the fire to transition out of this place. Okay, Um, but do that assessment first. That will give you clarity into where you can transfer your skills, what industries would be a great fit. And remember, um, you know, you're, you're still relatively young. You're still in your 20s, right? So you still have time, right? Um, and, and it will give you space to explore, okay? So once you've done that assessment, then perhaps you'd have one or two potential industries or careers um, that you would like to transition to where um, you you can also transition your career skill set and potentially where your board certification would be recognized, right? Because you've worked hard for that. You should be recognized for it. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's definitely what I would do. And then literally start connecting with people on LinkedIn, start connecting with potential employers and not just waiting for job ads to respond because that's a very passive way of advancing your career. And in in this day and age where people receive thousands, I, I heard a story from a recruiter once who said, you know, you know what we do? We actually just take 10. Um, we print out all the applications. We take 10 of the applications that are on top of the pile. We then just randomly pick another 10 in the middle and then pick 10 at the bottom. And that's how we shortlist. Like, can you imagine? That's how some recruiters shortlist because they just get so many responses. So, To me, that's more like playing Russian roulette. So I would definitely not just be responding to job ads. I would be um, I would be actively getting in front of potential employers in the industries I want to pivot to and also making sure, you know, you have a summary of what sets you apart. What is your skill set? What are you bringing to the table? Right. Because now you're becoming well, even in your current place of work, you're a salesperson. Right. Um, you're selling your skill set, you're selling why you deserve a pay raise, right? And that's that's what you're going to do as well in this next phase of your career. 
Okay. So Rachel asks, how do you navigate, how to navigate in the job market and get rid of imposter syndrome? Okay. So I think the question that I've just answered will give you insight into navigating the job market, getting rid of imposter syndrome, action. Action is the antidote. Is that the right word? to imposter syndrome because the more you take action the more you're disproving that inner self-critic aka imposter syndrome that you can actually do this right how good does it feel when you're sitting in a meeting and there's you want to say something and then your inner self-critic is like oh no Rachel like seriously do you even think people are going to listen to this idea that is so ludicrous. No, Rachel, this is such a silly thing that you're about to say. Okay. And then you say it and then it's received with positivity, right? And then you feel good about it afterwards. That is the antidote to imposter syndrome, because the more you take that action, the more you're disproving to that imposter syndrome, which is not real in the first place, that you've got it, that you're there for a reason, you have something to share, And so that is what's really going to quieten that. We call it in my my coaching program where um, where I I have a coach, we call it the, you know, the inner self-critic, but we also call it the noisy roommate because that noisy roommate, the only way to quieten it is by actually doing the opposite of what it's telling you to do and doing it continuously. Okay, and it's never going to go away. It's never going to go away. Imposter syndrome is here to stay. It's just how you manage it in the moments that matter that are going to determine how fast or slow you progress in your career. And everyone experiences it. I've spoken to CEOs, I've spoken to CFOs, I've spoken to directors, and they all talk about imposter syndrome as something that they've had to deal with even in when they have gotten to the helm of their careers. Okay, so it's here to stay. We've just got to deal with it. And action is how we deal with it consistently. Okay, the next question is loop us in on your time management skills. Hmm, Very good question. So for some of you who've been following me for a while, I actually used to be a productivity coach. So before I transitioned into supporting women in their careers, I used to help women in productivity and time management. And I feel like at that time, my plate was not as full. (laughs) My plate was not as full. And so, you know, the one thing I would say now, as I have transitioned with more responsibilities, I have literally three coaching programs running at the moment. I have my private coaching program. I have the Elevate Collective, which is the group coaching program. And I have the Inner Circle Mastermind, which is... Um, a mastermind for women who are alumni from my coaching programs. And I am a director. I manage a team of that has grown. We are now 19. And I have three little human beings that I absolutely love. And I have a husband. And I have a family that is across well, across Africa, not across the world. But I mean, I need to take a flight to go and see them. Okay. So I feel like my plate right now is so much fuller. And the one thing that I've had to do ruthlessly is say no. Literally, that's the one thing that I have had to do so much. I feel like my time management nowadays is more about what I am saying no to, as opposed to what I am adding. Secondly, 
delegating. Oh my goodness, have I become a master delegator? I used to feel bad about delegating because I used to feel like it means I'm not good at what I'm doing and therefore I'm getting someone else to do it. No, that's not what it means. If people can work and get things done, even if it's 80%, even if it's 50% of what you were expecting, you have saved your time. And you would rather help someone do something until they do it to perfection than you continuing to do it yourself. Okay. And so delegating has become a song that I sing all the time. And it's also how I empower my team members to step up to the plate, right? And to grow in their careers rather than me doing all the things. The third thing that I do is I love using the power of three. So every day before I start the day, I, you know, I start with that reframe of mind. What are the three most important things for me to do today? Okay. And I, I don't think about this in the context of just work. I also think about it in the context of other things that are going on in my life because you're just one person, right? And you don't have 24 hours for work, another 24 hours for personal stuff, another 24 hours for business if you're running a business like I am. And so I think about these top three in the context of everything, okay? And those top three things are the ones that take prime time. And my prime time is usually in the mornings because mornings is when no one is looking for me which is usually before, I would say, 7 or 8 a.m. No one is looking for me. No one is calling me. My phone is off. I haven't scrolled on social media. And so that has been so, so helpful in me being able to master my time management. So I hope those three tips are helpful for you. All right. So Lona asks, how did you save up for your first car? And it seems taxes in this country can barely let one prosper. Oh, Lona, I feel you. I know the struggle of taxes and they're here to stay, right? So they're not going anywhere. And what I would say to this is I actually didn't save up for my first car, to be honest. I only had the deposit, but I was at the time I was in South Africa and so car loans were very easily accessible and at a low interest rate. So it didn't make sense for me to save up until I had enough cash for to buy the car cash. And also a car is a depreciating asset. So you want to just be very mindful of that, especially if you're in a country where it's a high interest rate environment. So my first car, I was in South Africa, low interest rate environment. So it was a no brainer for me to just take a car loan. Okay, but depending on where you are, if you're in a high interest rate environment, you probably want to just continue saving up. And till you have sufficient funds, because taking a loan on a depreciating asset where you're paying high interest rates, like, and when I say high interest rates, anything above 10% is just going to drain you, right? Is not a good use of your money. And so instead, save up, put that money in an investment vehicle that is giving you, you know, at least. I would say 10, 12% and over time it will grow and make it, make it fun for you as well. Like if you, if, if it then becomes in your mind, like, oh my goodness, it's going to take me five years to get this car. And by the time I get to the five years, um, I don't know if, even if this is a car that I want to drive, like 
don't make it a grudge exercise. Make it exciting for you, right? Um, and there's so many apps nowadays where you, that you can download and put in what your objective is, say for your first car, put in the amount you're saving and keep updating it like on a weekly or monthly basis as to how much you've saved, okay? And if you're in a full-time job where you get bonuses, do not use the bonus to go shopping. Put it into your investment vehicle and that will help you accelerate the process even faster. You can also think of other ways of making income alongside your full-time job. So um, it could be speaking gigs, it could be consulting. Obviously, you need to make sure that there's no conflict of interest with your full-time job. But yeah, that's what I would do if I was in a high interest rate, high tax environment. Um, but when I bought my first car, that was not the case. Lorna also asks, what's your take on splitting 50-50 in relationships? Uh, good question. And I am taking this to mean you are asking about splitting 50-50 in terms of like expenses and whatnot. Okay. So what I would say to this is I think communication, first of all, is key because I feel like communication is one of the reasons why a lot of people have misunderstandings on this on this topic. OK, and so when it relates to finances, um, one of the things that we did with my partner is we sat down and we agreed on. Um, you know, we were very also transparent, right, on how much we earned, how much money we were making and how we were going to split in terms of the expenses, okay, that he was going to take up, the expenses that I was going to take up, okay. Um, and so just having those conversations can really clear a lot of the air that then just turns, can easily turn into misunderstandings that is not necessary, if you actually communicate upfront. So I, I don't think it will always translate into splitting 50-50, right? Sometimes it might result into splitting 70-30, depending on where you guys are in your income, right? Because again, if your partner is making 30% more than you, then why does it make sense for you to split 50-50? Do you get what I mean? So I wouldn't make it a hard and fast rule to split 50-50. I think you just need to have that conversation and everyone says, what is it that they can do? And also have conversations together around investment decisions, around how you actually want to. And, and that's going to be in the context of how you guys want your, your life to look like five, 10 years from now. Right. Don't just leave that to chance. Have the conversations. And that's really going to help you in breaking down, um, breaking down any potential miscommunications that could arise if you don't have those conversations. So that is my take on splitting 50-50 um, as it relates to finances, expenses, ETC in relationships. An important conversation to have and transparency is really key in this scenario. Another question that came up, it's not here in this Q&A, but someone has asked me before, like, do you believe in joint accounts when it comes to relationships? And my answer to that is if it's practical, right? Sometimes it's not practical because, I mean, let's say you have a joint account and every time you need to swipe the card, 
you you it sends an OTP and it can only send like that one time password to one phone. And if that's not your phone and then you're always having to call that your partner to send you the OTP, like, I mean, that's just exhausting and it feels annoying. So I would only do that if it's practical and if it's something you both want to do. Otherwise, I also think it's it's also a sense of I think it gives it gives me personally a sense of pride to have a personal account, right? It gives me that sense of pride and accomplishment, but it's not like I'm hiding anything. I'm transparent with my partner, with my husband on how much money I make um, and how I'm using the money. And I honor my obligations in terms of the expenses in the family that I have decided to take on. And should I decide one day that I want to call it quits and do something else or become a stay-at-home mom, we'll then have a conversation on what that means in terms of how we'll run the family and, you know, the finances going forward. Okay, so I think communication is just the key here. All right. Um, another question that has come up is, is it advisable to apply for a higher role when expectant, especially when your pregnancy has been difficult and has affected your results at work? No, I would say no, because one, you're in a very different season to someone who is going for a promotion, right? Um, and so unless you've already been flagged for someone who is ready for a promotion, I would honor the season that you, if it was, if you were me or if I were you, I would honor the season that I was in and just focus on my pregnancy, having a safe delivery and really just zone in on that for the next few months. And then there'll be a season for you to then, you know, focus on your work and focus on your career progression and advancement. Your work is not going to go away. I know that seems, it can seem, it it might not seem like that when you're thinking, my goodness, it's nine months, depending on where you are in your pregnancy. And then you're going to be on leave for another three plus months. And you don't know what's going to happen when you come back. Trust me. I have had, um, after my twin pregnancy, I got back and literally within a month or two, I had like a huge pay raise. Okay. And so it's possible. It's possible you can get back and literally get on the ground running. So don't feel like a part of your life is going to go away. Just honor the season you're in. And that's the thing I love about seasons. Seasons are temporary, right? They don't last forever. They're temporary. Okay, um, another question that has come up is, um, again, anonymous. How do women break the age mentality barrier in corporate where your bosses see you as too young? Good question. I would say just show them, show them what you're made of. Show them that you deserve that seat at the table and show them by your works, right? Your works will speak for you, but you've got to also put a voice to them. Okay. And show them by your expertise, by your insight, because at the end of the day, people are looking for value, right? And value doesn't have to come with age. And as soon as you can show that you have value to bring to the table, people are going to start to see you differently. And you'll even start seeing people contacting you, asking you for, you know, for advice or asking you for your opinions and your insights. So lead with value. And I think it's also important to put that age mentality in you down 
Because sometimes this age mentality barrier is something that we think other people are thinking, but maybe they're not even thinking about it. So instead, how can you start to, or how can you stop thinking about it and instead think about your value, what you're bringing to the table, your insights, your expertise, your skill set. Okay, this person has also asked um, a second question in this question is, when you've made mistakes in employment, how do you regain trust of your employers? Okay, so this is, I know this is not the easiest thing to deal with, but I think something that we need to have a conversation with because we are all going to make mistakes. No one is immune from making mistakes. I've made mistakes, right? I think owning up to them is important, very important to own up to those mistakes, but also do it strategically, okay? So it also depends on the gravity of the mistake, right? If the mistake is like a real grave mistake, like it's a big deal, like, you know, a lot of money is is on the line or has been lost, then you definitely want to communicate it upfront. Do not wait for people to call you out, communicate it upfront. If it is, you know, a minor mistake, you don't have to own up and start being apologetic, right? Minimize your use of the words, sorry, apologies, whatever. Instead, you can start to use the words, thank you, still showing that empathy and that you understand that you've made a mistake and start to talk about how I am learning from this experience. This is what I'm going to do differently, right? So spin it around. Make sure that you create a positivity out of it. A positive positiveness. I feel like positiveness is a better use of the word in this context, right? So how can you spin it around so that You can start to showcase that one, you've learned from it, but two, you're taking action to change things and to make sure that it doesn't happen again, right? Um, And and for yourself personally, how are you learning from this experience? Okay, so, so important. All right, ladies, I hope you have enjoyed our episode 100. I want to make sure that I have answered all the questions that have come through. So I've literally just done a check on Instagram. There are no other questions. I have also done a check on my email. There are no other questions that I have missed. So yeah. I am excited for this episode and let me know if you have any questions that arise out of this Um, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Her podcast. If you found this helpful, I would be forever grateful if you left a review of the show right here on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. If you would like more support and inspiration to elevate your career, go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn at Rebecca Morioki. Or if you're an Instagram girl, let's connect over there. See you on the next show.